0: All right, so this evening uh, we are going to be in Deuteronomy 7 and 8. Let's, uh, as a brief reminder, um, consider where we are. So where we are uh, in terms of location is we are on the east side of the Jordan River uh, at the end of Moses' life. So this is Deuteronomy, Moses' um, last uh, word of exhortation, sermon, if you will, to this second generation of Israelites uh, who have come out of Egyptian slavery. So, uh, just on the east side of the Jordan River, overlooking the land of Canaan, and on the verge of the conquest of Canaan uh, under the leadership of Joshua, according to the promises that God gave to abraham all the way back in genesis chapter 15. previously we have seen a recounting in deuteronomy chapters 1 through 3 of god's gracious dealings with the israelites as he brought them out of egyptian slavery by way of the exodus and then the last time we were together we considered deuteronomy chapters five and six. So of course chapter five of Deuteronomy uh, is uh, a, a um, restatement of the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue, if you will that was originally given to the Israelites um, at Mount Sinai or Horeb, which we uh, is often is often referred to Mount Sinai back in Exodus chapter 20 when that first generation of Israelites entered into Covenant, with Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, so that was where we were in Deuteronomy chapter five, and then we spent some time in Deuteronomy chapter six, considering the Shema, which begins in Deuteronomy chapter six verse four "Hear O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one and in the in Deuteronomy chapter six, we saw that this exhortation to love. Yahweh, to love and meditate on his word, to love and teach his word to the coming generations, to love and fear Yahweh, and to love and obey Yahweh. That's where we were. Also, we are in the midst of a long section of Deuteronomy, which I mentioned last time. Um, Chapters 6 through 26 are an extended commentary on the Decalogue. All right. So chapters 6 through 26 are an extended commentary on the Ten Commandments. And so tonight we are still in the commentary on the First Commandment, which is found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 7, where God says clearly and concisely, You shall have no other gods before me. And so that commentary on the First Commandment is found in Deuteronomy chapters 6. Through eleven, So that is where we are tonight as we pick up uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. And I assume that will be plain and clear to you as we work our way through these couple of chapters. All right. So Deuteronomy chapter 7, picking up in verse 1. Again, this is Moses speaking to the Israelites. When the Lord, Yahweh your God, shall bring you into the land where you are entering to possess it, And shall clear away many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you and you shall defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord Yahweh will be kindled against you and he will quickly destroy you. But thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and hew down their Asherim and burn their graven images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession (coughs) out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord, your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments, (coughs) excuse me, but repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments, which I'm commanding you today to do them. Okay, let's pause there and sort of recap. So the first thing that I think we should see here in the beginning portion of Deuteronomy chapter 7 is we should see the emphasis on who really is doing the acting here. Who is performing the actions? I want you to look in verse verses 1 and 2. It's very clear that the Lord your God shall bring you into the land where you are entering to possess it. And the Lord your God shall clear away many nations before you. And verse 2, And the Lord your God shall deliver them, that is those seven nations, before you, and then you shall defeat them. And So we see here that the primary actor is Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. And the only reason why the Israelites are able to defeat these seven nations is because God is doing the work before them, and for them, right? So God is the primary actor. And he points out here at the end of verse one that these seven nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, these are seven nations in the land of Canaan which are greater, that is greater in number, and stronger than the Israelites. And so we see that God is going to manifest his power ...against these seven nations in Canaan by using the Israelites, a a smaller in number and weaker nation, to defeat them. And so he's going to exercise his great power over them, just as he did when the Israelites were in Egypt. And of course, here we have the warnings at the end of verse 2. The warnings to the Israelites make no covenant with them show no favor to them do not intermarry with them in verse 3 and why well the answer is verse 4 for that word for is is giving us the why for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods and so again we see the echoes of the first commandment you shall have no Other gods before me. And one of the primary ways that Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, is ensuring that the Israelites will not violate the first commandment is that they are commanded to make no covenant with the Canaanites, they are commanded to show no favor to the Canaanites, and they are commanded to not intermarry with the Canaanites. And that will help them keep the first commandment commandment of course they're warned at the end of verse 4 if they do these things that is if they make a covenant with the Canaanites and don't destroy them utterly and if they show favor to the Canaanites and if they give their daughters to their sons or their sons to their daughters then what will happen is they will turn to the Canaanite gods they will disobey the first commandment and then in verse 4 the warning The anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will quickly destroy you. So you're being commanded Israel to go into Canaan and to destroy these seven nations that are greater and stronger than you. And you're warned that if you don't do that, then the Lord will quickly turn and destroy you. So the warning is very clear. And of course, there are more detailed commands in verse 5 about tearing down altars and their sacred pillars and their Asherim, which is basically a female god in the land of Canaan, and to burn their graven images with fire, verse 5. And again, why verse 6 is so important, for you are a holy people. Now, usually we think of a holiness as synonymous with righteousness. Let us not make that mistake. That is not what's being said here. We know, in fact, that the Israelites... Are not righteous. They haven't been righteous since they've been brought out of Egypt in the Exodus. That first generation of Israelites, they fell in the wilderness because of their unrighteousness and their d- unbelief, right? Holy in this context literally means set apart, sacred, okay? And you can see what that means in verses seven and eight. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you, okay? That is What we mean by holy, God has set his love on this people and he has chosen the Israelites out of all of the other people groups in the world at this time. That is what it means to be a holy people unto Yahweh. Now let's see, why did God set them apart as holy? Verse 7, the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. And I believe this is hearkening back to um, Jacob and his sons. If you remember, all the way back in uh, the latter portions of the book of Genesis, we know that Jacob and his sons went out of the land of Canaan, and they went down into Egypt because that's where Joseph was the vice president. And only 70 people traveled at that time. They were the fewest in number. So the nation Israel is not the greatest in number. They are the fewest in number, verse seven. Verse eight, but because the Lord Yahweh loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, that would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so it should be obvious to us right on the face of the text in Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8. This is a statement of God's electing grace, plain and simple. God chooses whom he will set his love upon. And I don't know that this text could be any clearer. God's electing grace. And that is a theme that we have seen before in the Pentateuch. And we will see it again all the way through the rest of the Bible because it is one of the main motifs of the Bible. After the fall, after the fall, all human beings born of Adam deserved to die. And the only way that anyone is ever saved or redeemed by the one true God of the universe, the Lord Yahweh, is if God chooses to set his electing gracious love on that person or those people. And we see that clear statement here in Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8. In verse 10, right, so in verse 9, this incredible statement of, of who good God is that we've seen before uh, as far back as Exodus chapter 34, right? This, this idea that God, he's a faithful God. He's a faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. Verse 10, but he repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. And this uh, phraseology here, uh, to his face, um, is is very interesting. And and, um, I believe it means something like he's going to line this person up for battle and then he's going to mow him down. That's what that means. He will turn this person so that he can see that he is God and that he is the one who is defeating him. Let's pick up in verse 12. Then it shall come about because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them that the Lord your God will keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to your forefathers and he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock in the land, which he swore to your forefathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will remove from you all sickness. And he will not put on you any of the harmful diseases of Egypt, which you have known. But he will lay them on all who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples whom the Lord your God will deliver to you. Your eyes shall not pity them. Neither shall you serve their gods. For that would be a snare to you. So in verses 12 through 17, I want you to see these incredible promises that God makes to Israel. But I want you most importantly to see that these promises are conditional. And the conditions are in verse 12. This is so important to understand. These are not unconditional promises. These are conditional promises. Verse 12, Moses says to Israel, then it shall come about because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them that the Lord your God will keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to your forefathers. So God promised Abraham he would give his descendants the land of Canaan. He will bring them into the land. That is true. But as we have said before, so I say again, their staying in the land, Israel's staying in the land, is absolutely and utterly dependent on Israel's obedience And faithfulness to the law of God. And you can see that condition in verse 12. But you can see the promises in verses 13 through 16. And these are great promises. And we will see these promises again and again in Deuteronomy, especially near the end of Deuteronomy, as you have the six tribes on one mount and six tribes on the other mount. And you see these blessings and these cursings that will be called back and forth. These are many and great promises but they are conditional upon the obedience of Israel. Verse 17 of Deuteronomy 7. If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials which your eyes saw and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, so shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet against them until those who are left and hide themselves from you perish. You shall not dread them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. And the Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little, You will not be able to put an end to them quickly, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God shall deliver them before you and will throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. And he will deliver their kings into your hands so that you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No man will be able to stand before you until you have destroyed them. The graven images of their gods you are to burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abomination into your house, and like it come under the ban. You shall utterly detest it, and you shall utterly abhor it, for it is something banned. All right, so as we finish out Deuteronomy chapter 7 here, a few things to see. The first thing we see In verses 18 and following is this exhortation to remember what the Lord your God has done for you. Do you see that? Verse 17, remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials which your eyes saw and the signs and the wonders, right? Over and over and over again, God exhorts his people to remember what I have done for you. This is so important. It's even important for us, right? God's new covenant people. This is why we at Abiding Grace Church um, celebrate the supper every single week because in the supper is this reminder of what God has done for us, specifically through the cross of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And through remembering and the exhortation to remember, And through that reminder of the supper, week by week, we are encouraged to go out and to live lives worthy of the gospel and to fulfill the great commission as we spread the message of the kingdom. And so we see here in Deuteronomy 7, this exhortation to Israel to remember what God did for them while they were in Egypt and how he brought them out. Verse 20, some details about how this conquest of Canaan is going to proceed. The Lord your God will send the hornet against them, that is the seven nations in Canaan, until those who are left and hide themselves from you perish. Verse 21, you shall not dread them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. What an incredible um, reminder and exhortation. And then in verse 22, and the Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. And and I think um, this is uh, not only a word of exhortation uh, uh, and teaching uh, to the Old Testament Israelites, but there's a sense in which I I believe um, there's there's teaching in here for us, uh, New Covenant believers. And I think this is a picture of uh, our sanctification, our growth in holiness in the Lord. Um, and in so many ways um, it happens to us little by little um I think we do uh, have testimony uh, in our lives of, of times in our lives when our growth in holiness uh, grows quickly uh, and often that comes through significant events in our lives but overall generally speaking uh, the rule is that we conquer we conquer our enemies most notably our and in the enemy of sin that still remains with us. Um, we conquer it little by little. Uh, and sometimes I feel like we, we wish it would go faster, but God knows what he's doing, uh, and he is giving us uh, grace and strength for the day in our battle against sin as we put to death the deeds of the flesh. In verse 26, I want you to see, I don't know how your verse 26 reads, but as I read it, uh, Moses says to Israel, "And you shall not bring an abomination—that is, a carved image—into your house." And we see a little bit of bleeding over into the second commandment here in Deuteronomy chapter seven: "You shall not bring an abomination into your house, and like it come under the ban." This, this under the ban—I don't again—I don't know what's necessarily in, in the translation you're reading, but this is exactly the same terminology that we find back um, in uh, verse two of Deuteronomy. Uh, 7 when it says when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you and you shall defeat them then you shall utterly destroy them that is the same language so it, it, in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 7 the context is the peoples the Canaanites the Hivites and the Jebusites for example these seven nations that are greater than you in verse 26 of Deuteronomy 7, what is being referred to in that context is the carved images. So they should be utterly destroyed, devoted to destruction but under the ban. So that language is the same, although perhaps in your translation it might be translated a little bit differently. It means utter destruction, devoted to destruction. All right, so in Deuteronomy 7, we've seen these warnings and these promises. That's what we've seen. We saw a little bit of God's electing grace in verses 7 and 8. As we get into Deuteronomy 8, we will see more of God's grace. Chapter 8, verse 1, Moses speaking to the Israelites. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you shall eat food without scarcity, in which you shall not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Verse 11. Beware, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Lest when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought you, he brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the lord your god so again in deuteronomy 8 uh, god's grace warnings and promises moses a good and faithful preacher of the words of god here so i want you to notice a few things in deuteronomy chapter 8 the first thing i want you to notice is the word humble And the the motif of humility. So in verse two, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. And then we see again in verse three, and he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know. And then in verse 16, in the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you that he might test you to do good for you in the end and so we see this motif of god humbling his people and this is a motif i think that we should take to heart right and 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 i and and how does he humble us how did he humble the israelites he humbled the israelites By testing them. It's plain as day. Again, verse two. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. And so for us, just as a word of exhortation to all of us, that when we undergo tests and trials from the Lord, We should first remember that this is the Lord. His intent is to humble us, to remind us, what? To remind us that our total and utter dependence is upon him. Do you see that? Verse 3, he, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, humbled you, Israel, and let you be hungry. And fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And of course, we know that our Savior and Lord Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, he used this verse, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, as he rebuffed uh, Satan in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4. Verse four, this testing, this trial is to keep us humble that we might remember that it is God who provides for us. In him, we live and we move and we have our being. So by God's grace, let us embrace the tests, embrace the trials and be humbled. Remember to be humble, remembering that God is the one on whom we depend at all times For all things, and in many ways, what we primarily rely on from him is not his physical blessings, but his spiritual blessings, the words that proceed out of his mouth. And I want you all to to see the emphasis on the heart of the Israelites. Okay, Their obedience to God's commands really is a test of their hearts. Do you see that in verse 2? Right? Uh, Again, to read verse two, such an important verse. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. And we see that again in verse five. Thus, you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. And in so many ways, we talk about the law being outside of us, right? Being on tablets. Of stone, but we also know that the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he takes that law that was on the tablets of stone and he uses it to examine what is in the hearts of his people. And that is hardly any different from the emphasis here in Deuteronomy chapter 8. What really matters is what's in the hearts of people, whether it's Old Testament Israel or whether it is us. What matters is what's in our heart, because that is where the true judgment will take place. Verse 10, and before we get to verse 10, the, the all of these incredible promises in verses 7 through 9, right? You see that land, water, fountains, springs, valleys, hills, wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey, food, iron copper, all these incredible blessings that God is ready to bestow on his people in Canaan. And he says to them, verse 10, when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land, which he has given you. This word bless here, uh, it it is not the same word as worship. This word bless um, has the idea of kneeling. okay, And so it's different from worship, but Um, Over and over again, God's people are commanded, especially in the Psalms, to bless the Lord, to give him glory, which he deserves to to, um, attribute to him the glory that he has and which he deserves. And then again, picking up in verse 11, these warnings again, beware, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. And so we see here this warning, and, and what's in this warning is a clear tie, a clear tie between obedience and remembering the Lord, right? And and what's sort of ringing in my mind is James, and, and, and as it just was ringing as I was reading. I don't actually have the text in front of me. I could certainly go look for it in James's epistle in the New Testament, but it... He talks about when you look into the law of liberty and then you turn away and you disobey, you're actually forgetting what you look like, right? And so we see here this obedience is tied to remembering and disobedience is tied to forgetting the Lord your God. And this is very similar to what we saw last time we were together from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12, if you remember, right? Watch yourself, lest you forget the Lord. And this same warning is given here. And what is the motivation or what is what is the root of us forgetting the Lord? What is the root of the Israelites forgetting the Lord? Well, it's right there in verse 14. Forgetting the Lord is tied to the heart of the Israelites becoming proud and forgetting the Lord your God. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 8, not only do we have this motif of humility but it is set over and against pride right here in Deuteronomy chapter 8 uh, verse 14 it's the pride is in contrast to the humi- humility which we are exhorted to have so when we are humble we remember the lord and we obey his commands when we are proud we forget the lord we disobey his commands and we are unfaithful. Okay, The distinction here is clear. May God grant us the grace to be humble in his sight that we might remember him and keep his commandments. Here in verse 15, a description of the great and terrible wilderness through which they have been brought. Its fiery serpents and its scorpions and it's thirsty ground where there was no water again a reminder that the will they didn't get their water from the wilderness they got their water from God it says at the end of verse 15 a reminder he Yahweh brought water for you out of the rock of flint and you can read about that back in a couple of different places in Exodus and in Numbers Verse 16, in the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good for you in the end. So important that we remember that the Israelites remember in direct context of Deuteronomy chapter eight, but also that we remember that when we are tested, when we are tried by the Lord, it is for our humility. It is for our growth. In holiness, and ultimately, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 16, it is for the good of God's people. And of course, what should be ringing in your ears, I hope, is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For all things, we know that all things work for the good of God's people, those who love him and have been called by him. And we see that same idea here. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 16, that the humility that God is trying to breed in his people Israel by testing them in the wilderness was for their ultimate good. Again, who's behind all of the power, who's behind all of the strength, verse 18, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth that he may firm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day it is God who is always behind our strength and behind our power and then as we wrap up Deuteronomy chapter 8 here we're reminded again of the first commandment verse 19 and it shall come about If you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I, Moses, testify against you, Israel, today, that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish, because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. So here again in Deuteronomy chapter 8, as we saw in Deuteronomy 7, we have warnings, we have promises. We have testimony to God's grace and to the utter dependence of God's people on Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, the one true God of the universe. So brothers and sisters, as we wrap up this evening in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I again pray that we would heed the warnings, that we would rejoice in the promises, and that we would be humbled by the testimony of God's electing grace towards us, a grace which we certainly did not deserve, a grace which comes to us and flows to us through the cross of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ.